0: Yeah, have you been there? You know, I think we've all been there. If we're honest, you know, trying to impress, trying to keep up with the Joneses. There's people out there that we don't, you know, we spend money buying things we don't have with money we don't have to try to impress people we don't even like. That's, that's the Joneses, right? Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here uh, for part two of uh, Life, Money, Hope. I'm looking forward. I'm excited about the series. And I kind of like to begin this morning with this question. How many of you would agree that it is fun? Can I move this? Sorry about that over there. Here we go. All right, there we go. How many would agree that it's fun to uh, spend money? Can I see your hand? Almost all of you. I saw that look. She was looking at him like you better raise your hand. Um, All right. How many would you agree that uh, it's even more fun spending someone else's money? Yeah, everyone's hands up. I mean, it is exhilarating spending somebody else's money. It is so exhilarating. Absolutely so much fun. The other day, I had an opportunity to drive actual, an actual uh, uh, stock car, actual late model stock car, and went over to Three Palm Speedway over in Ponagora over there, that way to the west, and uh, it was a blast. I've never had so much fun. I mean, it was just incredible um, you know, and I began to think maybe I missed my calling, should have been a professional race car driver. As a matter of fact, I had the fastest time of the day, never done it before, uh, faster than 45 other guys and gals, and it maybe wasn't saying much if you saw the people I was racing there with. We had two crashes, but it was so much fun. And so what do I do? You know, I, I couldn't stop talking about it, so I began to kind of psychoanalyze myself. I don't know if you do that, but I do that often saying, you know, why? why? Why did I enjoy that so much? What was it about it that, I mean, I was ready to lay out more casted. Let me go another 20 laps, you know. let me just like at the go-kart track, but it's, it's very expensive. And then it dawned on me, you know, the reason why I had so much fun, I enjoyed it so much? Because I wasn't paying for it. it I wasn't paying for it. My uh, son, uh, my oldest son, uh, Raymond, gave it to me as a Christmas present. Isn't he a great son? Other son gave me some slippers, but we, we won't go there. But, uh, but it was so much fun because somebody else paid for it, and I could just be in the moment, enjoy it, and go fast. I bought insurance, so if I crashed it, I didn't have to pay for it. I mean, it was just a blast. But if we're not careful, using one of these can also create that exhilarating feeling. What's, what's one of these? Credit card. Using your credit card can be so much fun. It can sometimes even feel like we're using someone else's money. It doesn't feel like it's our money. It's just a card, you know? Just swipe it, right? We don't feel so guilty using a credit card compared to when we use our, our hard-earned cash, you know? And there's, there's a difference in feeling. Now, some of you sitting there thinking, oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Well, let me give you maybe a few statistics that would help you. McDonald's, they did a very in-depth, spent thousands of dollars, had several focus groups, and they wanted to determine how much money would someone spend when they come to McDonald's and how much money less or more would they spend when they used one of these. They found out, their shoppers, people that go to McDonald's, that they will spend 47% more when they use a credit card versus when they use cash. When they use cash, you know what happens when we use cash? We look at the dollar menu, right? We're thinking, you know, double, McDouble, fry, Coke. I'll get out of there for three bucks. When we're using this little baby, we're thinking, you know, just go ahead and supersize the fries. I mean, just go ahead and supersize everything. Make it two apple pies. Maybe I should get breakfast right now for tomorrow. I mean, we just 47%. Now, some of you right about now thinking, yeah, but you know what, I, I, I don't go to McDonald's. Well, good for you. You probably don't have kids, but good for you. Um, and so, uh, Dunn and Bradstreet, they did a little study on all the other things we pay for with our credit cards, and they found that we spent about 12 to 18% more when we use our credit cards. That's what they have found. So, you know, I and you can say, well, that's not true, but apparently statistically speaking it's pretty true and you know we like these little things it's, it's fun it's convenient and i'm not trying to say you need to get rid of these things you know i wouldn't want to do life without mine either um but i think sometimes before we realize it, we become very dependent upon this thing and before we realize it, we began to become what they call a credit card alcoholic. you heard of those i thought about starting service that way i thought i'd stand up and say hi i'm raymond undo and i'm a credit card alcoholic." you know and but we decided not to do that. They didn't, the programming team didn't think it was a good idea. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's very real. It's very real. And I, I shared last Sunday, I can only really think of my own life one time where I really carried a balance forward on my credit card. And, um, but you know, those that carry a balance forward on a credit card, that their average credit card debt is average. Anybody want to guess? Average credit card debt today in America is $15,000. Those that don't pay their balance every month on time, the whole thing off, the average balance is $15,000. And you know, I know, we've gone through a hard time the last four years in our economy. Um, I I read this statistic and it really was uh, um, um, alarming in a good way, just helping us realize again, people, yeah, are going back to work, but people still are very much cash strapped And because we've been so cash-strapped, we've been more dependent upon this and maybe using this more than we'd like to. But today they say over 76% of Americans are living from paycheck to paycheck with no emergency funds. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, how we can get some emergency funds, some ideas, and talk about stress. the Stress that many of you are living with every single day, knowing you you, don't know if you're going to be able to make your bills this week. And a little surprise, a little hiccup, a little car breakdown, a little this, a little that, and a little this and that, they happen every week, don't they? You know, and all of a sudden, you're not living life with any hope. You're living life with a lot of despair. And what we learned last week, which I thought was so good as we launched the series, and I really want to encourage you to come back next week. This is a four-part series that really builds on each other, and you can go back and watch last week's message if you weren't there online, um, and um, there's even, you can even print out the notes. But anyways, uh, what we learned last week is that our finances and talking about money is a deeply spiritual issue. And I had some pushback from people I said, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's true, you know, but it's a deeply spiritual issue. I think some of us kind of don't want to accept our money and how we manage it and spend it. It's a reflection of our, of our hearts and our soul. Matter of fact, you remember, I think it was two weeks ago, Brent, who I have great respect for, and I even respected him more. He stood up here and he, he talked about, as we were launching the new year, and he talked about his weight, talked about his health. And he was so vulnerable and he was honest and he he said he came to the place of realizing that his weight and how he took care of his body wasn't just a, remember, wasn't just a physical issue, but it was a what? And when he finally realized it was a spiritual issue, he began to get some control over it and deal with it and manage it better. And I think this morning, maybe some of us need to come to the place of realizing that, that this little thing and the thing called debt isn't just a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue. And, um, and if we don't ask God to really help us get control of this, it could wreck our lives. You see, God is greatly concerned with how we choose to spend our money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. That a best way to see a person's heart is by seeing how they spend and how they manage their money. See, how we spend our money is a deeply spiritual issue. Can you say that with me? How we spend our money is a deeply. Jesus said this unless you're faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. Pretty simple. If you cheat, even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're trustworthy about worldly wealth, if you're untrustworthy, I mean, how you spend your credit cards, the little matters, you know, if you're untrustworthy there, who will trust you with, what's the word? True riches of heaven. And if you don't, and if you're not faithful with other people's money, why should you be trusted with money of your own? Jesus is talking about how we spend our money and other people's money and how it's an indicator of our spiritual maturity. That God measures our spiritual maturity by how we spend and manage our money. Now, what are the true riches here that Jesus is talking about in verse 12? He talks, it says, uh, who will trust you with true riches of heaven. What are the true riches of heaven that God wants all of us to manage that we can't manage if we don't learn to, to manage this and manage our money better? What's the true riches he's talking about? He's talking about what? He's talking about who? He's talking about people. He's talking about you talking about me. See, Jesus is saying, if we're not responsible in how we spend our money, why should God trust us with the souls of people that last forever? How we spend our money has eternal implications. Why should God give us greater spiritual responsibility if we don't manage our money well? See Jesus' logic here? So today we want to talk about spending money wisely. Can we say that together? Spending money wisely. Last week we talked about earning money ethically and how God wants us to work and we need to go out there and kill something and have fun and work hard. And this week we want to talk about spending money wisely and how that's a deeply spiritual issue. You see, financial stability, living with hope, has more to do with how we spend our money than rather how we earn our money. When we're faithful with the money God has given us, it brings stability. It brings calmness. It brings peace. It brings security to our lives. So last week, we're going to look at our way, and then we're going to look at God's way. Our way, and when I say our way, I'm speaking generically of everyone. I know there's exceptions, but we're going to look at our way of how we manage it, and then we're going to look at God's way, God's way. Our way is I need more. Our way is what? I need more. I need more money. God's way is manage what you have. Manage what you have. You see, whenever we're in debt or we're having a money problem, we usually think that the answer to our problem is more money. If I could just make a little more money, all my problems would go away. How many of you have thought like that? I've thought that way. and that's the way we naturally think? I just need a little more money. I just need to make a little more money. I need to borrow a little more money. If I just had a little more money, all my problems would go away. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says this. The more you have, the more you What? Spend right up to the limits of your income. Isn't that the truth? Your level expenses will always grow to your level of your income. If you're making $50,000 a year, you're going to spend how much? $50,000 a year. We're going to see next week. Basically, Americans are spending about, about 1% more than they're making, so about $51,000 or, or 50500 If you're making $100,000 a year, how much are you going to spend? $101,000 a year. Your level of expenses will always grow to the level of your income unless you have a budget. We don't like that word, do we? It's a dirty little word, budget. You know, it, it implies we need accountability and responsibility, and, and a budget simply is planned spending. It's telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering and worrying where it went. That's really what it is. It's planned spending. And it's amazing the number of people, and we love helping people, and we realize things happen in our lives, and you might be there right now, and, 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 and man, this message is by no means to judge you. It's to help you, and it's to offer hope. But it's amazing how people come, and we, and we want to help, and we try to help. You know? And we'll ask them, where your money went? You know, and they're in trouble. They say, I don't know. I, I don't, it's just, I don't know. And I mean, that's the answer we always get. Proverbs 21.5 says, what's the first word there? plan. Plan carefully and you'll have enough. General principle, there's exceptions. If you act too quickly, you never have enough. Living with more financial hope is not determined by you making more money. It's by you learning to manage what you have, to have a plan, to live on less, The greatest spiritual advice I can give you today is to learn to live on less than you make. The greatest spiritual advice I can give you is for you to learn to live on less than you make and you will live life with a whole lot more hope and you'll even be happier too. It's learning to live on what's called the 10-10-80 rule. Can you say that with me? 10-10-80. Say it with me, all of us. 10-10-80. Pay God, pay God. Pay yourself, live on the rest. Pay God. We all know, as Christ followers, that Jesus Christ expects us to tithe, to, to give our first 10% to God. We've got to pay God first, and then we need to pay ourselves. And we're going to talk about that next week. We need to save. We need to build in margin and learn to save. So we need to pay God, pay ourselves, and then we need to live on the rest. We need to pay all our bills. We need to learn to live on a margin. And some of you are, you're under so much financial stress because there's no margin in your life. There's just no margin there. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. (laughs) It's just a fact of life. Your yearnings, your desire for more was always going to exceed what you're making. And so we pray, God, I need more money. And God answers back, manage better what you have. We don't want that answer. We want more money. God says, listen, my principle, manage better what you have. Plan carefully and you'll have enough. Look at verse, uh, Proverbs 21, 5 again. Plan carefully and you'll have enough. But if you act, how? Too quickly, you'll never have enough. You need to plan carefully. You need to live by the 10-10-80 rule. You need to plan. But then you also need to not act too quickly. Now, what is Solomon talking about here? Acting too quickly. What's he talking about? He's talking about what? seeing something and want it. What's the words for that? Impulse buying. That's right. Impulse buying. If you act too quickly, you're never going to have enough. Man, I can be so guilty of that. I see that word, you know, I'm a bargain hunter. I see that word, sale. Sale, sale, you know? And I think, "Man, I got to have it." And I start thinking of all the money I'm going to save by buying it. Can you see the fallacy in my thinking? If I'm out shopping and I was not planning on spending $50 for a new pair of jeans, and I go by the Lucky Jeans store, my favorite store, you know, and it says Lucky Jeans, 50% off. And I go in there and I buy a pair of Lucky Jeans, 50% off. Am I saving $50 or am I spending $50? I'm what? Spending, say it, you know, you don't want to say it because you do the same thing. I'm not saving. I'm walking out thinking, man, I just said, no, I wasn't planning on spending that, wasn't planning on buying that. I've already got a dozen pair of lucky jeans at home, you know, I was not, not, that's an exaggeration. I was, (laughs) that's what you call hyperbole, I don't even know how many I have at home, but I'm sure it's not anything like that. But anyways, we're way off the subject here. But do you see the fallacy? That's what we do all the time. We think we're saving money, but actually what are we doing? We're spending money. We're spending money. Look at this verse. Proverbs 21, 20. Let's, let's go ahead and read it out loud, can we? Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Some of you are saying, Dr. let's let's read that again. One more time. Look, let's do it again for your, for your spouse's sake. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Some of you need to take that verse and just type it out and put it on your wallet. You know, every time you grab it. Stupid people. Maybe write it on a post-it note, guys, and just stick it on your wife. Don't do that. Don't even think about that. But maybe, seriously, maybe you ought to print that thing out and put that verse right on that credit card, you know? Stupid people. What do we do? We spend money, their money, as fast as they get it. Wow. I remember my kids were real, real little. And they would get a, uh, an allowance. I always gave a kid's allowance. My, my dad was so good about doing this when we were little, and we did the same thing with our kids. And we'd give them allowance. And I'm telling you, when they are little, especially, they'd get that money, and it was like burning a hole in their pocket. They had to buy something. They had to spend it. I mean, it was just killing them. They didn't have the emotional and the spiritual maturity to say no to their impulses. Right? They were little kids they were controlled by their emotions they were controlled by their feelings spiritual maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure that's not in your notes i encourage you to write it down spiritual maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure that's what it's all about living the christian life it's honoring god it's doing first things first it's postponing it's living by God's principles. It's following him. And following him is learning to say no to our impulses and not to act upon sin, but to say no to things and to say yes to God. Spiritual maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. See, most of us think we just need more stuff, but in reality, we just need more of Jesus. Because when we have him, we have the power We have the wisdom to say no to our impulses and to begin to live within our means. So how do we break this habit of impulse buying? How do we break the habit of overspending? Well, you can join Debtors Anonymous, great group, or Shopper Stopper, sounds pretty cool. Um, Or you can learn to live on a budget. You can tell your money where you want it to go rather than wondering and worrying where it went. All right. Uh, So one way, our way is I need money. You know, so I need money, I want money, and so we grow our debt. God's way is to live within our means and eliminate debt. Are we together? All right, number two, our way is to envy others. God's way is to be content. Isn't it ironic that we have so much? We have been so blessed. We are the richest nation in the world, in the history of the world. No other country in the history of the world has had so many people live so well for so long We are a blessed nation. It is estimated that the United States has about 35% of the entire world's wealth, and we only have about 5% of the entire world's population. And it seems that most of that world's wealth lives right here in, in Palm Beach County, right? You know? But yet, you know, you shop, you go to the mall. I love going over to Worth Avenue. It's beautiful. They love the architecture. love walking down. And you see people, these rich people, like, I see you and see us. We see people, and they're so unhappy. I mean, they're miserable. I mean, when are we going to realize that money ain't going to make us happy? And just a little bit more isn't going to solve our problems. We always want what someone else has, and so we're never happy with what we have. God put it this way way back in Exodus. One of the Ten Commandments, he says, Don't covet your neighbor's what? House. Or anything else your neighbor owns. You see, this morning, and again, I'm, please know my heart. I know some of you, man, you've been through some tough times. You've been out of work. You, I mean, you're struggling trying to get your feet back on. It. And by no means, again, we don't want to try to make you feel guilty. But I want to encourage you today to say, no new debt. Yes, you've got some debt. and You've got to come up with a debt plan to reduce that debt. But right now, can you say it with me? No new debt. No new debt. No, why am I the only one saying it? No new debt. Thank you, thank you. You see, some of us, you need to go home and you need to do some plastic surgery. That's right. You need to invite the Jones over and the Smiths over, and you need to have what you call a melting party. You get out a cookie sheet, you warm up your oven about 500 degrees, and you put your credit cards there on that cookie sheet, and you just watch them melt. Wish the debt would melt away with them, but they just, just melt those things down because you're making a commitment. You're saying, no new debt. Say it with me. No new debt. No new debt. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, Dr. Ray's had a rough week. He's been a little radical here. What do you mean? Melt down my credit cards. Well, look what Jesus said in Matthew 530. Jesus said this. Matter of fact, let's, can we read it together out loud? If your right hand causes you to sin... Chop it off. Throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, is Jesus talking about mutilation here? I don't think so. But these are radical words. And what he's trying to teach us, he's trying to teach us a very important life principle. He's saying be ruthless. Be ruthless on the things that can control and destroy your life. And as we saw last week, if we don't get a grip on this, if we don't get a a grip on our spending, it will destroy our marriage. Number one cause of divorce. So if you have a debt problem, I urge you to go home and do plastic surgery. Say no to no more new debt. And you see, contentment, God's way, is the single greatest key in staying out of debt. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives Free from what? The love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Wow. You can be content because your ultimate happiness and satisfaction is God. And he says, I'm with you. And I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. You can be content and focus on what you have and enjoy what you have. Because I'm on your side. And I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to forsake you. I'm there for you. Focus on what you have, not on what you want. Enjoy what you have. Jesus told a bunch of soldiers in Luke 3, he said, be content with your pay. The apostle Paul told Timothy, but godliness with, what's the word? With contentment is great gain. God bless you. Wow. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have what? Food and clothing with these, we will be content. You see, our way is to envy others, God's way is to be content, to be grateful. Our way is a bigger house. God's way is a better home. Better home. Proverbs 13:7 says, "Some who are poor do what? They they pretend. They pretend to be what? Rich." So you got the haves and the have-nots and those that have who haven't paid for what they have, right? Those are the posers. And there's a lot of posers out there. A lot of posers in South Florida. They're posing, they, they pretend, they, they have the stuff, but they don't have the stuff. Somebody else really has the stuff. We need to eliminate debt by focusing on a better home, not necessarily a bigger house. Proverbs 14, 11 says, the house of the wicked will perish, but the tent of the godly will flourish. You see, the size of our house is not near as important as the size of our heart and we need to be a lot more concerned about the size of our hearts than the size of our house. See, relationships are more important than things. Proverbs 27 says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant. Or the, the word there is a slave to the lender. Isn't that the truth? We can, I can speak from experience on that one, boy. Slave to the lender. 50 years ago, you know, people used to borrow money on a house And they did so reluctantly. Today we lie down hundreds of thousands of dollars, a million bucks. We think nothing of it. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, It's better to be satisfied with what? With what you have, rather than to always be wanting something else. You see, that's the American dream. The American dream is to always be wanting. Always wanting something else. Always trying to keep up with the Jones. Keep up with the Smiths. Having a bigger and bigger and a bigger house. Psalms 37, 16 says, Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. See, less is more and more is less. Can you say that? Less is more and more is less. And that's a choice that I can't make for you. That's a choice that you've got to make for yourself. You've got to make that choice less is more and more is less, that I'm going to put my focus on building a better home rather than a bigger house. And today in America, there is an epidemic of absentee parents. Our kids don't need more things. They need more parents. Our kids don't need more stuff because we think we're, we try to justify it, you know, it's for the kids, it's for their college, you know. They don't need more stuff. They need more of us. And we get so busy trying to make a living that we don't make a life. We don't have the time we need to give to them because we're so busy trying to pay for this mortgage. And one of the real serious dangers of living here in South Florida, and I, I grew up here, I was born here. I love this place. It's an incredible place to live. Even though people aren't so nice sometimes, it's just an incredible place. But boy, we gotta be careful because the gold is all around us. It's all around us, and we just keep buying into this lie that money's gonna make us happy. If I can just have this, if I can just buy that, then I'll be happy. It's, it's a lie. And what all this wealth does, if we're not careful, it causes us to become self-sufficient and independent of God. And we become proudful. We become arrogant. And I think you've all probably heard of Sodom. Genesis chapter 13, I think as we, we read about the city of Sodom, and usually when we hear the word Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of sexual immorality, and the city got destroyed by God, you know, and it's used that way. And I came across this verse I thought was fascinating, talking about Sodom. In Ezekiel 16, 49, I thought it was very insightful. It says this, speaking of the Sodomites, it says, they were what? Arrogant and spoiled. They had everything they needed and still refuse to help the poor and needy. Wow. It wasn't just immorality that separated the Sodomites from God. It was their preoccupation with with things. They had no time for hurting people. They had no time for worship. They were rich in possessions, but they were bankrupt in relationships. They were rich in material goods, but they were disconnected from the people they loved the most. And they end up losing it all. They lost what mattered the most, their families. Now please, let me be very clear in saying, God's not against big homes. God's not against beautiful homes. God's not against expensive cars. God's not against credit cards if you can afford them if you can afford them, if they're within your means. God's not anti-wealth. God's not pro-wealth. Wealth Wealth is just kind of like money. It's a neutral. It's what you do with it. It's how you manage it. It's how you leverage it. But God is for love. God is for caring for our communities. God is for families. and, And God is for togetherness. And we can become so proud and independent that we don't need Him, that we bless ourselves and we lose in the process. And our loving, gracious God is trying to warn us and say, don't do that. Don't live life your way. Do life my way. Do life my way. Involve me in what you do and what you say and how you live. And you will be better and you will live with hope. Now, i got to be honest and say, you know, there is a debt. There is a debt out there. There is one debt that you'll never be able to repay. And that's the debt of, of your sin, and that's the debt of my sin. We've all broken the law of God. We all have fallen short of God's financial standards. We're all lawbreakers. But someone has to pay that debt. And Jesus Christ came, and he lived a perfect life, and he died upon a cross, and he shed his own blood as a ransom payment for our debt. While Christ was on the cross, he said the words, it is finished, Greek, to die." It means paid in full. Paul said he agorazoed us, he bought us, he purchased us with his blood. We have a debt. Our debt causes separation in our relationship with God. Jesus died for that debt. Look at this verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. We owed a debt because we broke God's law. That debt, get this, listed all the rules <laughs> that we failed to follow. But God did what? He forgave us. He took away that debt. He nailed it all to the cross. It's kind of like when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save us, God kind of gives us a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm going to pay for your debt. I'm going to pay for your sins. You are forgiven because you put your faith and trust in me. And this morning, if you haven't come to the place in your own spiritual journey where you've made that decision, where you said, God, I'm going to do it your way, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me, man, I invite you to do that. I invite you to do that right now. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Can you pray with me quietly? Can you pray and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your very son to die for my sins. I put my faith, I put my trust in your son to save me from the dead of my sin. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much, for giving my debt. And maybe this morning, you need to choose to join me in praying, God, I choose your way. I will follow. God, I'll choose your way. Help me to better manage what I have. God, I choose your way. Help me to honor you with it. Help me to be content with what I have. God, I choose your way. Help me to eliminate debt. Help me to focus on building a better home, not a bigger house. Now this morning, some of you might need to pray and say, God, I'm discouraged about my finances. You can be real with God. If that's where you are, just say, God, I'm discouraged about my finances. But I do believe that with God, all things are possible. I give you, God, my financial mess. Can you give it to him? I want to do it your way. Help me to spend my money. Help me to spend your money wisely. God, we're so grateful that you are a caring, loving, heavenly Father and you always want to help us. God, help us to trust you, help us to follow you, help us to choose to do life your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.